And let's be clear, we exist only as a Great Commission people. We exist in order that sinners will hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and be saved from all the nations. The marching orders of the Church of Jesus Christ were to go into all the world and preach the gospel because the gospel has the power unto salvation. This is what it means to follow Christ. A call to live, a call to die, a call to spend your life for Jesus here and around the world until he returns. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast. I'm your host, Paul Aiken. This season of the podcast, we're focusing on missions in challenging and in unique places. I'm really excited about the focus of this season. We're talking with people who are working in jungles, mountains, on islands, and in different rural contexts around the world and here in North America. Today, we're going to focus on rural North America. There are joys and difficulties in every ministry context, and we tend to hear a lot about urban contexts and cities, but we don't hear a lot about the rural context. And many will say that rural America is its own mission field. And so I'm excited to talk more about that. I'm thrilled to have a conversation today with Dr. Bart Barber, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church Farmersville in Farmersville, Texas, and also who currently serves as president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So Pastor Bart, President Bart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to spend some time with you today and to talk about something I love. All right. Well, let's just begin kind of with the question, where are you? Give us maybe an overview of your context, the people, the environment, the landscape, the culture, all of that. So Farmersville, Texas has been an agricultural center for more than a century. We have a building, kind of a railroad depot in town called the Onion Shed because we used to produce Vidalia onions here that were really, really good to eat. Also, a lot of cotton that was grown in this area. And those things are of pretty recent memory, but we're also in a location where there's some transition going on. We're in Collin County, Texas. Collin County, Texas is predominantly urban, but we're the last part of Collin County that's not developed, that's not urban. And that has meant being a pastor in a context where urban people come out to a rural area. And so you have all sorts of conflicting worldviews that you have to work through. So I've told people for years and years that when you hear the words Farmersville, Texas, whatever you imagine, it's pretty much what it is. And I think that's true. And even as the community changes, it's a rural mindset that's predominant here in this community. Okay. So agricultural kind of rural context. Are there any things you can tell us about the area that maybe people might not know? I mean, the facts about the onions and some of that was quite interesting. Is there anything else that comes to mind? So Farmersville is the hometown of Audie Murphy, who is the most decorated soldier in World War II. And in fact, if you go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier there in Arlington National Cemetery, the sidewalk from that that goes back out past that amphitheater, right across the road from that sidewalk is another sidewalk that goes to Audie Murphy's grave. Because so many people went there, the grass was getting destroyed, and they poured a sidewalk to get people there. And so we have three parades a year. We have this Brick Street downtown. We have a Christmas parade. We have a parade on a day that we call Old Time Saturday. It's the first Saturday in October. And then the third parade happens during June. I missed it for the SBC annual meeting this year. And it's on Audie Murphy's birthday. And so a lot of the values that would be rural values, patriotism, 
and a love for the land. It really lines up well with that favorite son of this community. Now, Bart, how long have you been pastoring the church there? 24 years I just finished. So I'm working on 25 now. Okay. So 24 years. Can you go back to the beginning and kind of tell us a little bit about how you got there? Sure. So I grew up in Arkansas. I'm a native Arkansan uh, from Lake City, which I tell people is one of the greatest lies ever. There's no lake and it's not a city, but that's where I was raised and was called to preach very young. And in fact, pastored a church my senior year in high school while I was there. And then after that, I came to Texas and I went to Baylor and completed a degree at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, and then went to seminary Southwestern, completed my MDiv. After that, my dad was an entrepreneur, so I grew up in the family business. And my dad got a six-month-to-live diagnosis of cancer, and I wound up leaving Royce City, Texas, where I was serving at that time. Going back home, my church had just lost their pastor, my home church in Arkansas. And so I was the interim pastor at my home church and also spent time caring for my dad and also working at the family business. So I was bivocational for a while while I was doing that. And then after dad died, it took a couple of years to try to get kind of everything on an even keel with the church and the business and all of that. And so after we'd gotten to that point, I'd always known that that was a temporary assignment for me. And I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to go into not an interim position. You know, the new pastor had been called. And so after a couple of months, you know, I was looking for somewhere else to go. First Baptist Farmersville needed a pastor. And it was an hour and a half from Southwestern Seminary for me to be able to go to school. And so I came here then. I think a lot of people thought at the church, because they'd had that happen before, that I would get my degree and leave. And I didn't know that that wouldn't be the case myself. But I didn't leave. And here I am. Oh, that's awesome. I love some of that background, some of the story. And obviously, you mentioned you've been there 24 years, coming up on 25 years. What would you say it is about that place, that church, that community that makes it so special to you? Oh, man, there's your whole podcast. If I go into that, (laughs) I will say, and I'm going to just early connect this to the idea of rural ministry. You're not going to succeed in a country church. You're not going to succeed in a small town church in a rural area, if your heart's somewhere else, if you can never love that church, if you always think of that church as biding my time to get somewhere else, ain't going to work. And we fell in love with FBC Farmersville and fell in love with this community. And they've just been, we've lived life together in ways that really has knit us together. We've had things happen in our life that have been hard. And our church was there for us during those times. And our community has been through difficult times. And I was counting the other day, I'm up to five times now that I've opened our church as a shelter for our local community in times of some sort of disaster. And we've seen people come to Christ through those ministries who are faithful parts of this church. And so when you spend time together connecting to one another, then that's a blessing. This is a good context for that because First Baptist Farmersville has been here since 1865 and has never split, and has never fired a lead pastor. So these are a people who are not cantankerous, and neither am I, regardless of what you may have heard. And so <laughs> it's just been a great, great fit, and I love this church. 
Yeah, that's good. I want to ask kind of a question on the flip side of that. What makes this context maybe a challenging place to do ministry? Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of people find themselves at some point or another in the midst of a church that sits on the borderline between rural and urbanizing kind of forces. And I would say, you know, out of 24 years, for 20 of those, this area has been predominantly rural. And there are a number of ways that that affects things that you're doing. And yet, I would say also for all of those 24 years, what we've had are people who've moved out this way to escape urban life. So even the people that we have that move out here, people look and say, well, it's not not a rural context because you're in Collin County, Texas, and you can drive 20 minutes and be at any restaurant that you want in McKinney or Allen or whatever. But something that didn't make the cut that I explained to Anderson Cooper last year said, you know, rural is a set of values and a mindset as much as anything, as is urban. And you've got people who are living in New York City who dream all day of getting out of there and getting out to a farm. And you've got people living in Kansas who would give all that they had to make it to Gotham. And, you know, that's that worldview, I think, is one of the largest divides actually in our country is between sort of that rural idea and that urban idea. And so what we've got here are the people who they're not even in Dallas downtown. They're in a suburb and can't stand it. And they're saying to themselves, I just scrape up enough money. One of my deacons, Walt Hollowell, he's with the Lord now. He grew up in rural Oklahoma, left for World War II, worked for Rockwell Collins Radio, doing defense contracting stuff, wound up in Garland, Texas, made it to the big time, working a big fancy company, doing electronic advanced technology stuff and everything. And he says, I worked and worked and worked for 20 years to save up enough money to get back to where I came from, to go buy a farm uh, (laughs) out in a rural area and raise Mm -hmm. Johnson grass hay. And he said, I should have just stayed at home. I (laughs) would have saved a lot of money and effort. But (laughs) but you have people like that, you know, who are just trying to find a way. They're working at the rat race and they hate it. And they're trying to get out to a rural environment. But even those people who come with a rural heart, They've had the urban experience now. And so a lot of times when they come to church, they're looking for something that feels a little more urban, maybe, Mm -hmm. than you have been before. But they also have that rural inclination. Finding the right mix is difficult to do. And I'll give you a practical example that relates to something that's going on in the SBC right now. And that is implementing child protection policies. Okay, a country church, a rural church, you don't need to background check anybody because the FBI ain't got nothing on the grapevine in a rural church. And if somebody has in that community has done something wrong and gotten in trouble, (laughs) everybody knows about it in that church. And checking in children, checking out children, all that kind of thing. We knew your great grandmother's aunt and we know who everybody is and. So there's a resistance to things that feel impersonal. I remember the first time that we added any kind of a computer system here to do anything other than just like type up financial statements or whatever, any kind of a membership management system here. 
Okay. First time we did that, there was some opposition against that in business meeting from not someone who's, you know, a Luddite from a seasoned pilot at American Airlines. So this is a guy who works with technology at a major corporation all the time, but he's got that rural soul. And he said, I don't want our church to become where everybody's a number. And so I don't want us doing this. I don't want us to get a church management software system. And, you know, in the end, the case that we made was to say, we can actually treat people more personally if we let something do some thinking and record keeping for us so that we're likely not to forget somebody's birthday or Hmm. to miss important things that are going on. But that kind of an implementation on the other side of that spectrum, you've got somebody, even if they wanted to move out to the country, they just came from a church where they felt like their baby was very secure because not anybody could walk into that hallway. And even though they moved out here looking to have five acres and a horse, they moved out here and don't know everybody here. And so they don't have that sense of connection. And you know what they say about rural areas, particularly in the South, you're only a stranger for 30 seconds, but you're a newcomer for 30 years. And so they want that feeling of security for their kids, while the people who have been here multiple generations and are more connected to this rural community are reluctant about things that feel impersonal. And that's one area, child screening, child security, child protection. That's one area where a symptom shows up of that culture class between rural and urban mindsets. Hmm. And in every one of those cases, you have to figure out how to navigate that in a way that helps everybody be able to share the same church experience with one another. Yeah, I appreciate you kind of teasing out the difference in that worldview, that mindset. I think you really tapped into something there that is significant, that really runs across our country and probably is even present in some other countries and locations as well. The Great Commission is a call to go, and a call to go is a call to prepare. Whether you're called to advance the gospel in your local church or on mission fields around the world, Southern Seminary is committed to preparing you for a lifetime of faithful ministry. Designed with flexibility and personalization in mind, the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies allows pastors, missionaries, and ministry leaders to prepare for their own unique call to ministry. It's designed to equip students with the biblical foundation and the practical training needed to present the gospel clearly in cross-cultural missional settings. To learn more about the Master of Divinity in Great Commission Studies, go to sbts.edu bgs or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click the link to the Billy Graham School of Southern Seminary. There, you'll learn how listeners to this podcast can save $40 when applying for classes. That web address again is sbts.edu slash bgs. I want to shift to another question. As you think back over the last year, what are some things that the Lord is doing in your church, in your community, some things that are encouraging to you when you kind of look back and see what the Lord's done? My church is because the last year I've been serving as president of the SBC, and that's kind of buried in your question, I think, in some way or another. And at least I can't answer that question without mentioning that. And so I've had to travel a lot. I think my church has concluded that if they could just send me away for good, we would experience revival here. Because while I've been gone, we've added more church members than we've ever added before. We've had record level of baptisms over the course of the past year. Just an amazing team of people that I work with here at FBC Farmersville, both some people who are paid and also we just have a 
God-given blessing of a deep bench when it comes to folks in the church who are members of the church who are not on staff, who are just willing to step up and help and work and carry things across the finish line. And I give thanks for that. And so, you know, in our church life, things have been going very, very well. And my personal life has been a train wreck over the course of the past year. (laughs) And I think that's just, honestly, I think being in this position, I have the benefit of millions of people praying for me. And I'm thankful for that. But also the enemy, you know, opposition that's going on. And so my mom's been really sick. That's been a major burden. She passed away. Yeah. She passed away on Sunday, the day the pastor's conference started, before the annual meeting. Mom died. And that after two very ugly weeks of the approach to death that Mm. was long and difficult in every way. And I was in the middle of that. I was you know, at her bedside caring for her and had to leave from there and go get on a journey to New Orleans and to go get ready for the annual meeting. And so the very challenging time with that, mm-hmm. also challenging time. This is part of the reason why I really didn't want to do this. God was calling me to do this, but I was, I know everybody's supposed to say they were reluctant to do it. I was genuinely reluctant to do it and not because it's zero percent this idea of, oh, why not I want to mess with the I love the Southern Baptist Convention. I think always love the Southern Baptist Convention to the day that I die. Mm. So thankful for what the SBC's done for me. So it was not at all any sense of is this worth my time? But instead, just I've got a son who's 20 and a daughter who's a senior in high school this year. And this is a time of major transition in their lives and a time when they really need the attention of their dad. And it's also a time when we're like standing on the diving board, peering over into the pool from 30 meters. I know that's high for a diving board, but feels that way of this whole empty nest phenomenon. And my wife would benefit from some attention from her husband too. And we've had to navigate all of that with God's grace and help and flexibility and loading Sarah and Tracy up to go with me on a trip or two and just to try to kind of stay connected. And so it's been a year full of really a lot of challenges and also a lot of great blessings. Yeah. I know in some ways the role is maybe a thankless role. And I just wanted to express my encouragement to you, support of you. Thank you for the way that you're leading. Thank you for the way that you're serving Southern Baptists. I know it's not always easy. And like you just mentioned with family dynamics and ministry dynamics and other things at play, just know that we're grateful for you and pray that this next year will be, the Lord will sustain you, uh, will be an encouraging year for you as you serve in that role. Well, I tell you, it hadn't been thankless at all. It may be sometimes, but Southern Baptists have been so kind and gracious and supportive to me. It's overwhelming. Overwhelming. Amen. I want to shift to some more lightning round, kind of quicker response questions. What do you think it takes? Now you've been doing this for almost a quarter century. What do you think it takes to be an effective and faithful pastor in a rural context? You've got to become a part of the family. You've got to love the church and you've got to love the people in the church. And you're going to have to fake that at first because you don't love them when you get there. You don't even know them (laughs) and you don't know that church. And yet here you are in this leadership position. And so you got to fake it till you make it. And you're going to have to get over some bumps. You're going to have a time when you don't love the church, but you're excited to be there. You have a lot of optimism. 
And then you're going to go through a season where you absolutely hate them and you're convinced that they hate you. And most people are going to run through that rough patch at some point or another. If you stick with it and push through onto the other side, you can get to the point where you love them, they love you. And that's the currency of the realm in a church that's in a rural context is they know they love you and you love them. What's the craziest, most shocking thing you've seen or experienced as a pastor? So, you know, I guess we'll have to talk about funny things and serious things. Some of the most shocking things have been serious things, but there have also been, you know, some crazy, funny things that have happened too along the way. I'll share one of the serious things. Some Southern Baptists will know Archie Mason. He's not really involved in this except as a lead in. Archie Mason's pastor of Central Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. It's where I grew up, just Lake City's just a few miles outside of Jonesboro. And he's got an amazing ministry called the AgriLife Connection. He's got that Farm Life podcast that he's doing. The reason why he does that, Archie's a former agribusiness guy. I love agriculture. I was in the FFA growing up, you know, and that connects to that rural kind of thing. Archie saw and understood that there's a frighteningly elevated occurrence of suicide and depression among farmers. And there's a lot of pain in rural life. People think of it as idyllic, but ultimately the reason Walt Hollowell and my store earlier left Southwest Oklahoma is because it's hard to make a living there. So it's a challenge for people. It's been difficult the number of times that we've experienced that kind of depression that ends in suicide in a rural ministry context, especially sometimes among people who are aging. I think an urban context may see more suicide among very young people. We see not as much of that, maybe, in the context that we're in here. But, you know, I went out with a deacon once to clean the bedroom from an elderly church member who'd taken his own life, shot himself. And we cleaned up the bedroom while his wife had been taken to the hospital to give a statement to the police and, you know, just for them to declare him to be dead. And, you know, that kind of thing, it's not necessarily what you think rural ministry is going to be like, but that can come as a shock to see how prevalent that sort of thing is and how much people need a pastor who loves them in those contexts. The craziest things that have happened, you know, I went to a rural church, baptizing can be a challenge. There are things that you count on in a city church that they're not necessarily going to buy something in. So I went to Mill Creek Baptist Church in Mill Creek, Oklahoma. This is the first church we served at after we got married. And when we won somebody to Christ pretty early on while we were there, got ready to baptize them. First of all, the baptistry was a wooden box that they had built themselves and had put a coating on the plywood in there and had built out a wood, a little, hold on, no, that's wrong. They had taken a three-foot paint stepladder and had cut off the back legs of it and nailed it into the top of the baptistry. That's how you got in and out of the baptistry. And then figuring out how to fill the thing up with water was challenging because there was in a little room next to the baptistry, there was a water heater. Okay. And the water heater had Romex going to a light switch. So you could turn the light switch and turn the water heater on. So it had electricity, but it did not have any water going to it. There was a pipe that came out of that water heater and went to the exterior wall. And if you went around to the exterior wall, there was a spigot there that had no water in it. You turned the handle and no water would come out. But then if you went around to the building was shaped like a T and that's in the vertical bar of the T. If you went out to one of the wings at the top of the T, 
there was a water heater there that had water to it, but no electricity or gas. So it didn't work to heat anything. But the pressure relief valve on that water heater had a hose clamp connecting to a water hose. And you had to take that garden hose and run it outside across the yard and put it into that spigot for water to go backwards through the spigot. And then you had to go to that water heater and flip the pressure relief valve so that the water would go through the pressure relief piping, through that hose, out across the yard, backwards through that spigot that then went into the water heater that actually worked to heat the water, to use another garden hose coming out of the top of the water heater and put that into the baptistry to fill that up with water. Took me three quarters of a day to figure out what was going on with that and get it to work. So (laughs) a lot of times you get to a rural church and they've got somebody who's not a plumber, not an electrician, who just figured out how to make it work. And you've got to come back and find some way as a mere mortal to step into the shoes of that genius Mm. and figure out what he has devised to make all this work. Wow. Those of you who are baptizing maybe this weekend, be thankful for the setup that you have. Uh, (laughs) Bart, what is one thing you wished you knew before you started pastoring FBC Farmersville? I'm just going to steal somebody else's line. I think it's Mark Dever who says that you way overestimate what you can do in one year and underestimate what you can do in 10. And it's really important to think about that. There's a time limit of how long they think you'll make it when you get there. The moment you make it past that time limit, brand new opportunities open up. And for my church, it was a long time limit. They thought I would finish a PhD. I took seven years to do that. When I didn't leave after that, things just turned. And they were like, we're not just a paycheck for you to get this done. You actually care about us. Wow. And that changed things. That's powerful. Last question. How would you encourage people maybe who are working in rural environments? I would just kind of give you, let's say somebody's listening that's in their 20s and they're pastoring a rural church. Maybe there's somebody that's towards the end of their career and they're in their 60s or 70s and they're pastoring in a rural context. How would you encourage them? What would you say to them? I would say to them that rural ministry is important because the people there are important. And we'll send missionaries out to places around the world that are far more rural than where you are and have fewer people than you have. And we'll celebrate what they do. We celebrate what you do, too. Mm -hmm. You are the backbone of the Southern Baptist Convention. And rural churches have produced leadership and finances and vision for the Southern Baptist Convention for all of your lifetime and all of your grandparents' lifetime. And it's a worthwhile endeavor. Love those sheep allotted to your charge. Love that church and serve them with all of your heart. Amen, amen. I mean, we couldn't do what we do at Southern Seminary. We couldn't do what we do at IMB or NAM without those rural pastors who are serving faithfully. So thank you for mentioning that. I appreciate that. Bart, thank you so much for your time, for the conversation today. Hey, it's great to spend some time with you. How much fun this has been. Thank you so much for having me in. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us on Amazon to the Himalayas. This podcast is brought to you by the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary. 
please visit our website, www.sbts.edu bgs, where you can subscribe to the show and learn more. Also, if you have found these conversations helpful, please leave us a comment or a review and encourage your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more. This is Amazon to the Himalayas podcast.